Um, don't judge me. My office is a tad bit unorganized. <laughs> hey, man, so is my life. So, you know, like, we're... <laughs> yeah, understood. My life is too. People are like, what you gonna do today? Stay black? Like, I, I don't... Honestly, you're just lucky I'm alive. Like, I don't... It's your host, Natalia, back for another episode of More Than a Pretty Face. Today, I am so jazzed to be talking with Kanisha Tillman. She is the founder and creator of Tutus and Tennis Shoes. So, Kanisha, you want to introduce yourself? Well, thank you. Um, Tutus and Tennis Shoes is my business, and it is a hair care education company. It started out as a brick-and-mortar children's salon in Des Moines, Iowa, uh, no, I'm not from there. I was just stuck <laughs> there for a while, okay? <laughs> just to clarify. Um, but it has morphed into this beautiful um, online-based education company, and I am able to reach way more families than I could then. And so although some of the morph was hard and not so pretty, I couldn't be happier with what Tutus and Tennis Shoes has turned into now. It's really, really cool. I just, I find, like, what you do just, like, specifically focusing on like little girls Mm -hmm. is really interesting to me because I think that's something that like we don't get to really talk about often I think like now as you get older and you have to take care of your hair by yourself is when we start to like kind of go to YouTube University which isn't always the best place to go uh (laughs) (laughs) there's definitely a few things missing there um but it's YouTube I mean what can you do right that's true that's true um, I came across you on uh, Sarah Bauman's page on TikTok when you oh. did um, the collaboration. She's also going to be on this season. Um, oh, very cool. Yeah. Um, you, so, Kanisha did a lovely collab with Sarah Bauman, who's also going to be on this season, um, where she talks about black hair history, and it's like this nine-part series, and it's really, really good and super educational, starting from, like, the way back times and I'm talking like we brought over on the boat times to today and and so like I just want to know kind of how did you guys get together and and get to doing that well what's interesting is networking like networking opens amazing doors that you could like you probably would sit there and never imagine you know so Mm -hmm. Miss Sarah was introduced to me by one of my clients turned friend Molly and so then Sarah reached out to me and like we did a short kind of um history thing and then we went in she invited me to do a longer one because she has like this whole other project going on which I think is so dope um and so of course I said yeah because I like how she adds the illustrations to stories so I just thought it was really cool I was actually very honored but I met her through someone that I met through tutus who became a friend so it's just a constant line of just like meeting people yes like tutus has brought some amazing people into my life um again i in the beginning so i started tutus in 2016 and even just the idea of wanting to have this children's salon it never occurred to me the 
like the amount of people that I would meet in the process and the variety of people and just getting to know their interests and getting to know like their success and their challenges and their stories. It has been a great ride. And how did you, so I guess kind of like, how did you get started? Did you wake up one day and you were like, you know what, black girls going to do their hair? (laughs) So Two Toes and Tennis Shoes was actually formulated over other business ideas that that I had started and kind of failed. So I went into cosmetology when I was pregnant with my son. Before then, I was a light and sound technician. I had been a light and sound technician since I was 14. I love being backstage. My mother pretty much raised me backstage. And then I get knocked up and I'm like, oh, wait, you can't climb ladders. Like, you can't carry all this heavy cable. You can't stand in the middle of the air and hang a light. That's not going to work out well, ma'am. So you got to figure out something else. Well, my grandmother was a cosmetologist um, and she raised, I say, three husbands and six kids. (laughs) And then two grandkids and then sent me boxes I feel like off of her income on cosmetology so give you a little backstory she um was was an adult during the era that women weren't worth more than their husband Mm -hmm. and you know she had to be married and and some of her husbands had health issues were not able to work were not or maybe they just did not have great personalities we'll put it that way so cosmetology was a way that she could help sustain herself and her family and see that her kids mm-hmm. always had their needs met. And grandma, trying to keep me busy when I was a kid, it taught me some things. She taught me how to finger wave on a mannequin. She bought me all these supplies. And I took it for granted, honestly. <laughs> so then when I was pregnant with my son, I was like, well, girl, you're going to have to get your life together. Like, what are you going to do? So I looked up trades that were recession-proof because we were going into one and barbering and cosmetology came up kind of top on the list and I was like mm-hmm. okay grandma taught me a little bit like little something. I'm creative yeah I can do this you know and if my grandmother can make it work and it's recession-proof like I can't lose okay well I lost I lost a lot like <laughs> there is <laughs> there is nothing in cosmetology school that really teaches you about business like they have a short chapter mm-hmm. and it talks a little bit about like passing out business cards and making sure the electricity like matches your electricity needs it's very minimal compared to what you actually need to know in life and during the time I went to school it was somewhat antiquated because Mm. it was still talking about business cards and we were going into the social media era yeah you know so I don't know what the books look like now as far as that chapter but from other stylists I'm hearing a similar thing that there's not enough business education so yeah I failed I rented um booths like most stylists do I tried to work in corporate salons none of that worked I ended up working in a children's salon in Atlanta and this lady was um I think a banker either way she had money stacked and she decided to invest in this salon but she had no cosmetology education and she only had one kid and her daughter at that time was freshly two so there was two things that she didn't know kids and cosmetology (laughs) and (laughs) we would come to work and be like what is she tripping on like this does not make any sense like the layout of the building doesn't why is she making these kids cry more like it was all kind of little stuff and we'd be like oh my god and we not get paid enough and finally (laughs) it clicked to me one day that like you can't criticize her until you do your own so you need to hush and either make this work and be grateful um, until you can do your own. So I had done this little business where I was going to the schools and doing hair and that was okay, but still business model wasn't quite figured out. So I get to Iowa and there's nothing. There's one thing about the Midwest, especially Iowa. It is a blank canvas. If y'all, if you have like the drive to really want to build something, it is a blank canvas. So I go there. There's no children's lines. I take that back. There's two. There was one that 
that came up, I think it's like lollipop or something, but when mm-hmm. you go see it, it was like a corner of a salon mm. and she had painted some murals and she was Latina and she was not interested in anybody else's hair. Mm. Um, which interesting is I took my friend's daughter who's actually biracial. She's Mexican and black, but her hair is coarse. And this lady was looking like, I don't know why you brought her in here. So that, that, you know, luckily my friend and her daughter were prepared for any kind of reaction, but if they had just been a regular customer, that would have been disheartening. Like that could have hurt that little girl's feelings. So then there was another one. And I think it was like one of the all white, like come in, get a haircut type, uh, salons. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to do my children's salon. I found, you know, this is empty space. There's not a lot of competition. This city needs it. So I rented a booth again, and my customers, we'll put it this way, the salon and my customers were not a good fit together. My babies Mm. needed space. They needed to be able to make their noise. They needed toys. Um, They didn't need to hear some of the conversations the adults were having. And so I kind of on a whim was like, well, I'm going to look for my own space. And I jumped out there. I found a little rinky-dink space, and I made it sparkly pink and purple and um, kind of went from there. So that's the long answer <laughs> to how Tutus and Tennis Shoes got started. That's so cool, though. That's really cool. You kind of, you literally just jumped in. Uh, yeah, I'm a little crazy that way. <laughs> no, I, listen, don't let anyone tell you any different, because that was, that's really cool, though, but you built it into this really amazing thing. And you got, so, like, now I know your business, like, focuses a lot on teaching white and adoptive families about black hair care. How did you even, like, get into that niche? They found me. So, when I was still renting a booth in someone else's salon, and it was really crazy because you would come in her salon, everything's branded for her, and you would get to my corner, and it would be tutus, tennis shoes, sparkly, like, in my little corner. But that's neither here nor there. So my, so my, the transracial adoptive families found me. Um, I can, I think I remember my customer zero, like my customer number one. And I don't know if she posted it in a social media group or what happened, but it was like a memo went out that I wasn't aware of. And I was getting these calls, like the salon was getting calls to book with me and these families are coming in and it's all these white folks that look like they lost with this little black kid. And I'm like, what is going on? But it was a blessing. These families expressed to me um so much love and so much um desire and willingness right but at that time the salons in the immediate area so actually I had families that were driving in out of state to come to me they would make weekend trips of it bring grandpa uncle auntie they would get a hotel room they would bring the baby to the salon and maybe like a couple of family members would hang out and then the rest would go do their shopping or whatever and they would all come back and like make a whole weekend of it So I learned by listening to them what was missing. And when we all moved into our own space, I tried to fill a lot more of those voids. I learned a lot about sensory issues. I Mm. learned a lot about cultural differences. Like we live in the same world and sometimes we live in the same cities, but we live in completely different realities Mm -hmm. in positive and negative ways. And it was kind of amazing to me how we could live dang near shoulder to shoulder and be oblivious to how each other functions. And we have to bring some of that together when you are bringing in um, family members of different colors, because no matter how much you love this black child, that world, the world that we live in still sees them as a black child, Mm -hmm. especially when they're outside of your reach, right? When they're not standing right next to you, your whiteness, your white privilege is not their umbrella. And even sometimes while they stand in there, it's really not. And so I started learning that unfortunately, 
Um, our world wasn't going to allow me to just teach these parents hair care. I can teach you how to comb and brush and braid all day, but if I don't teach you some of the other nuances in our culture, that's not really doing mm-hmm. you a favor. You're still going to come up and be like, God, dog it. I still, you know, like, I still don't know what to do. I don't understand why this hairstyle isn't working for her. I don't understand why people are approaching her this way when she has this in versus this. So I had to... I had to step up and fill more of the voids as I was listening to what these families really needed. And what else were they really asking for? Like, what was the main ask, I guess, after, hey, can you, you know, braid her hair? (laughs) You know, so braiding their hair, like, that didn't do enough. Because, like I said, a lot of these families were coming from out of town. But even the ones that lived in town, let's say, quote, unquote, in town, they were coming from an hour away. So it wasn't realistic for me to see them every two weeks or every month like it really needs to happen. So not only were they asking me how to keep her hair healthy, but then they were asking me like, well, why is she crying all the time? Well, why is she always asking me for long hair like Elsa? Well, why doesn't she like her skin? I tell her she's beautiful. What what else am I supposed to do? You know, why is she asking me, can she look like her cousins? Why is she asking me more? Like, I used to have this one lady. um, She adopted two children from Central Africa. And she was well-to-do, whatever. She adopted them because she has a missionary trip or some. Long story short. When she brought them home, one of the first things she did was make an appointment with me. That's fine and dandy. But as the time went on, and not a lot of time, she would call me and leave messages. The girls are crying. I think they need a hair appointment. Ma'am, first of all, they don't speak English. (laughs) And you don't speak their language. Did you call the translator? Second of all, I'm pretty sure hair is not at the top of their list of reasons why they're crying. You brought them from literally the central Africa, the center of Africa, where it's the hottest, to Iowa, dead winter, where they don't see anything remotely, their color, their complexion, mm-hmm. they don't see the foods, they don't hear the same sounds, they don't hear the same music like you, hair is not necessarily what they're crying about, even if they said it, I'm telling you it's deeper, so sometimes they weren't asking, <laughs> even now, there's a lot of things they're not asking, but you have to, somebody has to tell them that what you're seeing on surface level is deeper than that. That's not what this kid is um, is wanting. Yes, they're asking you for hair like Elsa because something is reinforcing to them that they're, the way that they showed up on this planet is not pretty enough. Something is reinforcing to them that if they look like Elsa, they finally wouldn't be having um, the comments, you know, coming towards them that they are getting. So it, they're not they're not solely asking you to look like their cousin Susie or Elsa or like we have to dig a little deeper so a lot of times it's the questions that they're not asking that Mm -hmm. I address because I want these little girls to to always feel not only loved by their family but to be able to love themselves and sometimes I think um when we so when we grow up in a black family we innately kind of learn some of the microaggressions and we learn how to cope with them. We learn how to shut them down. We learn when and, and, and where to say what. And when you're in a white family, and especially a white family that's never had to deal with those racist mm-hmm. microaggressions, they're not equipped to give the kids those tools. And so those kids internalize it as something being wrong with them, as somehow God put them on this planet and didn't make them enough, didn't make them beautiful, made them a problem. And I strive to remove some of that from 
their dynamics to alert the parents to this is what's going on and this is what the real world is like for black people starting with hair though you know mm-hmm. hair is my medium that I try to get them in the conversation um I don't even remember your question. It went all the way down the road. I'm no, I, <laughs> no, I'm here for. I was, I was just asking about, like, you know, what besides them, you know, asking to to braid their kids' hair, you know, what other questions yeah. they were asking you. That honestly covers basically what I asked. Okay, uh, great, great, great. <laughs> no, because yeah, you're. I mean, you're bringing up like a lot of points because I think the black community hair is something that is so like integral to us. And keeping our hair in certain ways and the different styles and textures and and just, I don't know, like, your hair is such a huge part of who you are as a black woman, specifically, uh-huh. I feel like. Like, it's, it's so integral to, like, your personality. And I know that, like, if I'm not having a good hair day, like, it's a totally, I don't know, it's just, like, you present to the world so much differently because the world tells you that you present Absolutely. so much differently. Yes, it's and like, the world treats you differently. Yes, Versus, like, I know, like, you know, when I would come in with, like, my little fro, it's, like, you look so different. I'm, like, do I? Like, you know what I mean? Uh Like, so, I've had to, I totally understand, but it's, like, I, you know, grew up in a black family, so I see that more. I see the changes more of hair and, like, Uh what it does and what it looks like versus, like, probably not having to grow up with those things around. Or people who actually knew how to take care of their hair. Uh Especially from a young age. What I hear a lot from the adult transracial adoptees who had parents that we're going to give them the grace to say that they didn't have access to education, and they might not have. If these are 80s babies, there was no internet, right? (laughs) Um, They grow up with deep-seated self-confidence issues because they knew that their family loved them. That was never a question. But when they went to school and people teased them or people can constantly pointed out that they were different than the rest of the school rest of the students or when their hair was frizzy and looked like they had stuck their finger in a light socket when their hair was constantly dry when their hair you know they put braids in but the braids didn't quite look right they couldn't pinpoint what was wrong and they didn't know how to fix it and not only that when they become adults and their parents didn't learn while their children while they were children when they have their own children they're not able to pass on those skills So here you are as a parent feeling inadequate because you finally, like, even if it never occurred to you before, now it's occurred to you, you don't know how to care for your body in totality, which means you don't know how to care for the body that you are now, you know, been blessed with. Whether you gave birth to the child or you adopted too, you are not equipped to take care of this black child because somebody before you didn't pass down those skills. And honestly, there's a lot that goes into adoption and these children, you know, have a lot of trauma and have all these other things, I think hair care could easily be taken off the table. Like, I I just don't think that it should be a issue that is perpetuated to where these these children are grown up to be adults and then they're still facing this heartache um, with their own children. Like, we can take this off the table now. There's a lot of other things that we ain't gonna better take off the table that they're gonna take a long time to heal from, but hair care doesn't have to be one. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's, let's get it done now. You're like, we can solve this. (laughs) We can solve this. We can solve this. We can solve this in just a matter of a couple of months. Yes, hair care is more than just a couple of months. Like, you're going to constantly be learning. But I can at least get you to the point where you got your child's hair healthy. Mm -hmm. You know how to do some basic styles. 
know what I'm saying? And I have helped you understand why it's important to reinforce their self-confidence. Because there's so many things in this world that's going to tell them that they are not beautiful and they are not enough. And don't let them be dark-skinned. Girl, there's even more. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> I get high. <laughs> no, but I I'm glad because it's it's like I think there can be like so many um I guess so many sides to this argument about transracial adoption and and the traumas that it can cause and it's like should black people be involved in that and what that looks like and all these other mm-hmm. things but it's so interesting to hear your perspective about like it, also I think specifically because it you didn't seek this out. It's something that just, no. like, happened to... <laughs> Y'all can't see her face, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, no. But I think that's what's even more interesting. Like, you... This was not something that you sought out. It was just something that kind of, like, happened to you. Um, which I think, like, you were kind of, like, thrust into this role. And obviously, you know, you've taken it with great stride. I mean, I'm assuming there's been dark moments. Um, but but I think... I don't know. I think that's, like just really telling of you and your and your character because not all of us could have done it i don't always have the patience is what i'm saying oh it takes a lot of patience ma'am that is an understatement again we are living in two different worlds right next to each other and so sometimes bringing people who are in a different reality into the one that their child is going to have to be in it's a like you're dragging them by their toes they are not trying to go they didn't call you every name under the sun and told you you don't know what you're talking about but sure enough now i'm six five years in 2014 and y'all do the math anyway (laughs) i have had people who said you know what i didn't believe you at first three years ago you told me xyz three years ago you tried to you know help me with my child hair i didn't think it was that important man i'm eating my words I wish I had listened. You know, I have adult adoptees who said, who are saying, one just said today. And this young lady, I knew her in Des Moines. I didn't, I never knew she was adopted. I, I mean, she's white. I just assumed she was biracial. Like I didn't, it was none of my business. You know what I'm saying? That's another thing. It was none of my business. So she just said today, I wish I had somebody like you in my life or in the world when I was growing up in that all white family. I wish I had had somebody who was standing up and saying, no, you can't say these type of things around your kids. You can't ignore their hair and skin. Like, that's low-key racist. You know, like, all these things. Um, and by no means did I, like, me and God talk all the time. Like, sir, ma'am, sir, ma'am, whichever one we want to go by today, um, I don't know if you gave me all the tools for this. Do you see what these people are saying? <laughs> Do you, like... I don't know if this is my ministry. Like, <laughs> Yeah, like, gather them. This ain't, this ain't always fun, you know? But those letters that I get from parents that are like, I am so proud that my daughter is proud of herself. Like my daughter was in the mirror and she was shaking her head and saying, mommy, thank you. Like those emails and and notes that I get are what keep me going. And to be real honest, when I had my little salon, I lost it. So we're gonna talk about business and losing things. I still didn't know how to run a business. I had the shop, Mm -hmm. it was cute. I had some branding going on. Like I had some pieces, you know, but I didn't know all of it and I wasn't charging enough and it couldn't cover my, long story short, I lost it. I also lost my mind somewhat behind that. I went into a deep depression and anxiety. Tutus brought me out. So those families that noticed that I had suddenly disappeared online also sent me emails like, Kanisha, you mean the world to us. I'm so glad that you've been a part of our family. Mm. Do you know that you did, when you taught me X, Y, Z, I was able to teach my grandmother who, you know, has been using this word 
whatever, fill in whatever not so great word it is, you know, I was able to teach her or I was able to reach my daughter in a different way. We now love hair time. You know, I feel so close to her. all those emails helped me fight through depression and come back. So tutus and the people I help mean, I, I think in, in a lot of ways, just as much to me. Mm. You know, there are days that I'm like, forget this. Like, I'm tired of arguing with these people. And then I remember there's a bunch of people that I don't have to argue with. There's a bunch of people that have said that this has changed my family. This has not only brought me closer to my daughter, it's brought my husband closer. And, you know, it's it's I've had children who I started started working with when they were little, like five and six, and now they're kind of preteens and they're able to voice some of it. And they've told me their appreciation. It just means a lot to me to know that I'm standing in that gap. And, and it's somewhat of a gap that I probably, as a, no, I know as a child, I needed somebody to stand in. I needed somebody to tell me that I had been born enough and to tell me that I was pretty and to tell me that I was smart and to tell me that I was worthy. And so, yeah, it's it's not easy. <laughs> it's damn sure not easy. <laughs> no. I, I want to know, you know, what I guess is kind of the average starting age when a client comes in or gets in with you. Is it is it young? Is it older? Yeah, so um, it had been around like three or four-ish. Mm-hmm. That's when parents were starting, mm, sometimes kindergarten around that age and now I'm really trying to get more parents to think about starting before they bring the black child into their home because again I can teach you to comb and brush all day but if you haven't like for instance there was a post that everybody got mad at this woman in a group made a post about how long her child's hair took and mind you as a black person we're like girl that's that's Tuesday yeah like what are you talking about what this is normal what you tripping on and I hope you didn't say nothing in front of this little girl making her feel like somehow she was a chore because this right here is a normal expectation had that woman been around black people or had any black people in her social media feed she would have known what reality is for us right and so then she wouldn't have this absurd expectation that this black child's hair is going to be done in 30 minutes or less no ma'am you're going to be there for a couple hours you might as well get comfortable get your snacks together get your little movies on i don't care what you do saturday was the day exactly (laughs) don't make this child feel like that somehow something is wrong with her no something is wrong with you you don't know like it's a lack of information in your brain there's nothing wrong with her head Mm -hmm. So there's posts like that. Again, it's what people are not asking. There's posts like that that I see literally damn near daily that let me know these people are bringing black children into their household, not knowing one black person, not even on social media. How did we just have Obama and Michelle and y'all still ain't got not one black person you follow? You see, I'm like, come on, man. So I'm trying to now I'm trying to catch people before they bring the kids in their household. Mm, because mm. I need them to change their mind and their their conversation and their vocabulary around being uplifting and just knowing that this is a part of raising a black child. This is not some new like task that somebody gave you to make your life miserable. Like you this is what it is, you know. Cause this isn't new to us. Like that's the thing. Like if you were to drop me with a kid, like I would know yes what to do so that's so that's so interesting like also the um the idea that like there's no consideration that this 
dealing with our hair is going to be different. Like, that's something that's always so baffling to me. And, like, this is why, like, think about it. Like, you've never went to a salon without someone vouching for it first. Mm Mm-hmm. You never did. Like, especially, Uh I knew there was, like, a, when I was growing up, there was, like, a cost cutters that we went to, but it was only because there was this one black girl who did (laughs) hair, and we only scheduled appointments. Like, that was, that's why I would come home to get my hair relaxed. If When I was still relaxing my hair, like, it was just her, but you wouldn't think about, like, me going into a cost cutters and just, like. Right. Because everyone says that they can do black hair. And they're mostly lying. So, let me tell you, cosmetology school does not teach black hair care yes it teaches you to shampoo it teaches you condition it teaches you about relaxers it teaches you about relaxers from a scientific point of view the ph and you know how to apply it properly so you don't burn people but it does not teach you actual black hair care there's nothing in the cosmetology books last i checked about moisturizing our hair properly now i will say pivot point has a couple of additional chapters that do go over braiding and stuff but if your teachers are all white and have no experience braiding, you can read them chapters all you want to. It's not going to make you a braider. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, like, I went into school. So a lot of my counterparts in school that were black, they had been doing hair for years. They were just coming to get a license, even the ones that were yeah. high schoolers, right? So they knew how to lay a weave. They knew how to braid. They knew how to do other stuff. I knew how to cornrow. I knew natural hair. That's what I knew. I'm a kitchen chemist. Like, I like mixing my body butters and stuff. But I didn't know a lot of the styling. And I was lucky that I had two or three black teachers, one that was real old school that could teach you how to do a hard press like my grandma, and one that was more modern who could be like, all right, you need to put these tracks in, you're moving too slow. You know what I'm saying? And then I had my white teachers who made sure that we could we were great at cutting. I was not. I was a little slow. Um, you know, but the books require you to do an absurd amount of hours on perm rides. Who the hell, like, white people aren't even wearing perms like that. Why are we still doing this massive amount of Mm -hmm. perm rides? So when other stylists, especially non-black stylists, say, oh, yeah, I can do black hair, nine times out of ten, they're lying because nothing in our education equips you to really take care of black hair. Mm -hmm. That's That's so true. And, like, every even now, I think when I'm, like, looking for, like, natural hair care and, like, people who take care of natural hair like you have like they went on and did their own further study and like yes. took classes because like to be a like a curologist curologist words are hard uh-huh. um it's like that's like your own additional money your own additional studying that you have to do and just like practice and doing like clean and simple not a lot of oils no like you know like all of that is um just like them doing that on their own getting their own education and taking classes versus like being able to get that education say in in the school setting that they mm-hmm. originally paid for <laughs> right you, you i got all this debt and it did not cover my hair and you know so there's a lady in texas now i don't agree with all her principles but her name her name is isis and she fought for um a lot of blacks well she fought for the right for black stylists to not have to have a cosmetology license to braid. And she said, because it was a traditional skill, which I agree with, we passed it down, right? And she said, because why should we have to go into debt within this cosmetology field, trying to get a license when that license doesn't teach us anything about our hair? I agree with those two points. She's absolutely correct. If if you want to come out and you want to take care of natural hair, going to get your cosmetology license 
is not going to quite get you there. It is going to teach you trichology, which I do think is important. And it teaches you sanitation. I think that's also important. Learning like the degrees of haircuts, that's important. But then a good portion of what you learn, you are not going to need it because it's based on white hair. And when you come out and you get done paying that couple thousand of dollars, and it's not just like two, it's quite a few, um, you are going to have to pay a thousand or so more to get your additional classes just on natural hair. You're going to have to pay for those braiding classes. You're going to have to pay for those lock classes, for those, you know, bomb twist out. Like, you're going to pay. And our classes aren't cheap. They're on average $500 at, at minimum, at minimum, you know, so. Ooh, girl. That caused me a lot of stress. <laughs> Being in debt myself, not from cosmetology, just from normal, you know, getting degrees nonsense. Um, mm-hmm. Which, mm. so when you have parents like come and, because t- I know you have like an online package and stuff, I guess kind of what is the biggest pushback maybe you hear from, from families? Um, one is they don't, so when I do get pushback, a lot of times it's because they don't understand what all goes into what I teach. And it doesn't matter how many times I might, you know, explain it to them, have them read the bullet points. In their mind, there's still a blockage. So they think that it's sheerly aesthetic. It's just aesthetic. Mm, mm. And why would I pick Kanisha when I can go watch YouTube University? Okay. And you've been watching it for the last two years and your child still looks crusty. Like, they ain't not a part near her head. The parting is not on her head. Like, I don't know if you picked up a comb or not from the looking from looking at her head. Well. So clearly, YouTube, you and YouTube University, y'all ain't, y'all, y'all ain't, y'all ain't fixing, you know what I'm saying? Y'all ain't working. Um, so that's one of my biggest pushbacks. And then there is this underlying idea that black women aren't worth being paid. Mm-hmm. And they very rarely will say it. But, like, blatantly, well, I just don't want to pay you, or, you know, why would you charge? Like, they'll very rarely blatantly say it, but they'll say it in other ways. They'll find any way around paying me for my expertise. But they do want me to be available anytime they call, they email, they message. I need to be available, but I don't need to be paid. So that's kind of like, it's, um, so, you know, we talk about marketing. My marketing consists a lot of educating people to the fact that they need it and that it is in fact okay to pay me mm-hmm. so because i think in the long run of paying your prices and when they learn how to do their child's hair will save money in the long run mm-hmm. then say even if even if they do find a salon that they like and they can bring their child to that salon like girl that adds up these salon it, prices begin exactly all types of crazy so again, they have no concept of what our hair, what our prices cost in a salon and how often our kids need to go if they don't know how to do anything. So yeah. what's interesting is white salons are by far not cheap. Not at all. You know what I'm saying? Like a blowout, like I was just telling somebody earlier, because anyway, that was a whole different thing. I was telling somebody earlier that in a white salon, a blow dry bar, you're gonna pay minimum like $40 for a shampoo, basic shampoo, and blow dry. And that's like a 30-minute service, right? But white people don't go into the salon nearly as much as we do. So they'll get their hair cut like once a season. They get their little color. Now, they may have spent a couple of hundred on their color. And if there's some foils or whatever, it might have been close to 300. But that was once a season. Or maybe once every, yeah, again, a season. A every season, four months, yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. 
Whereas we need to be there, especially if you don't know how to do your child's hair, you need to be in a salon either every week to every two weeks. Yes. They have no concept of that. None. Like, even with their little boys, if you look, unfortunately, through a lot of the transracial adoption social media, you constantly see our black boys looking like they have matted carpets on their head. And you will see a hint on a good day. You'll see a hint of a line that was probably given to their <laughs> child two months ago. You know what I'm saying? But they ain't been to the barbershop since then. Yeah. And when you get in conversations with these parents, they don't realize that haircuts for black kids, black boys, need to happen at least every two weeks. You're not stretching it out too much. Like, your son looks a mess. They don't know that he looks a mess. They literally have no concept. But he looks rough. But he looks rough. And then, because he hasn't had a haircut, that line might have been there. Or Grandpa did it with his clippers that he got from Facebook. I'm serious. Like, folks be going in on me on my social media when I say this. But I'm like, y'all act like this has not come up in real conversation. (laughs) These are things y'all's peers told me. (laughs) You told me about how Grandpa got these clippers off Facebook Marketplace and cut your son's hair. And that's why it looks like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, And I have to explain to them, he needs a lineup. No, you don't need to do it. You need to take him to a barbershop. Well, it's an hour away. Well, you adopted a black kid. I guess you're going to be driving. Every two weeks, because this is a part of your life now, unless you want to buy a house over there. You know, I don't know what to tell you, but this has to happen. Just because you are in a neighborhood that does not support him doesn't mean that you get to negate what he needs. Like, this is a part of his care. So they will omit the the whole barbershop thing. And then they won't know, like, okay, well, if you're going to keep hair on top, you got to moisturize that. It doesn't, like... You cannot just walk around with a dry... It looks like an SOS pass. Stop that. So, <laughs> these are conversations that we have to have that they don't always want. And, you know, I don't care. <laughs> is it? Is that sometimes... I mean, do you feel like that originally helped or hurt your... Like, your, your bluntness? Because I think also, you know, the way black women, we get branded, you know, in certain conversations. So, do you feel like that was, like, a help or a hindrance at first to your business? Originally, I was scared. To be real, real honest, because I know I'm talking to white women mostly. And I look at my analytics. I'm still pretty much talking to white women. Um, What got me over the fear of being so honest was I was homeless. I had already lost my salon. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like, I I wasn't blunt during that time because I was depressed. But after the homelessness and everything else, and I'm like, I survived all that. I'm not going to keep playing with these people because that's not doing them a service. There are other people who offer something similar, not to the capacity that I do. But one of the things they don't do is be honest with these parents. And so these parents are perpetually in the same challenge. Whereas my parents, yes, they take my class, but they also, we have these conversations and they're honest conversations. And so this challenge that was a problem now is not a problem in two months. Mm, Because mm. I told you up front, like I just had a, a parent, she took her baby into the salon and the stylist suggested a relaxer. The parent thought it was solely because the child's hair is 4C and too much to deal with. So I asked her some more questions, coming to find out, I know us, right? I know us and I know our stylists, like this in the industry, I know we sit, we hurting for money, whatever, whatever. Come to find out, it's the child's behavior. The child was acting a butt. The stylist didn't feel like dealing with her. Mama couldn't get her together. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So the stylist was like, well, I'm still going to get some bread out of you. So I'm about to tell you to, to let me put this relax on her because that's still going to be a $60 service. Mm-hmm. But you only going to be here max an hour. Yeah. Not two and a half, three that I was going to have to put in trying to braid this child's hair, acting a butt. So I told the parent, hey, that stylist wasn't honest with you. 
you've got to get your child's behavior together and it starts at home. This is a parenting issue, not a hair issue. These are some of the words that you can say to help her learn how to talk to you because screaming and hollering and fighting you ain't it, right? But if these other stylists aren't willing to broach these subjects, then you're going to continue to have people asking you questions that are that are um, worded as if they're hair questions, but it's not. And so she, you know, she may have messed around and let that lady give this child a five-year-old a relaxer, thinking that somehow it's going to solve the problems. If she can't sit still for you taking down a ponytail, guess what's going to happen when you put that relaxer on her? She don't sit still to get it rinsed out. Now you got chemical burns because somebody was afraid to have that honest, uncomfortable conversation with you. And you still, so, you have to maintain a relaxer. Like you can't, you know, like it would be so much more damaging if that kid's hair started falling out and like, and it is a training thing because I feel like I've been, you know, getting my hair done or braided and seeing, you know, little babies come in, they're like five, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they will sit there for the, for the plaits and the, and maybe put in one or two extensions in to get the long braid, like. It's because they know they know from a young age living in a black family that you mm-hmm. have to sit to get your hair done. And yes, you're going to get fidgety sometimes. And that will happen because you're a child. Kid, yeah. But, um, and the stylist needs to move with you or mommy needs to move with you. Yeah. But it's but that's a real thing. I I wanted I do want to go back to something that you said, though. You talked about how you had lost your salon and then you were then you were homeless. Oh, yeah. Can yeah. you tell me a little bit more about that? If you if you feel comfy doing that? Yeah, it's fine. Um. So again, I did not know enough about business. I'm still flying by the seat of my pants. So overall, I was not charging enough to keep up all my overhead. Mm. On top of being a single parent. So, you know, that adds in another layer of complexity. So I'm trying to figure out how to schedule appointments and still get out to my son's school to pick him up or get to the house, you know, to pick him up from the bus stop or whatever. And after a while, I just got to be too much. Um, I was late on my rent with my landlord at the salon and he was just kind of like I don't think your business is going to work like you need to you know maybe try again in a couple years that's basically what he told me and I had um allowed or I had sought out roommates and I had a roommate at that time and he was going through some health issues and so his portion was going to be late and so he told me well you know we'll we'll ride this out um, if they put an eviction notice, we'll go to court and then you'll just pay it all. And yeah, you'll have that that notice was there, but you won't have a real eviction. Man, you cannot believe people. And I'm not going to tell the whole story right now, but there was a little bit more that happened that last week of my that last week of my salon that made it impossible for me to save my house. Mm. So I wasn't packed. I didn't. I had no real idea that I was about to lose everything in a matter of days. So I lost the salon. My last day was a Saturday. By Wednesday, I found out that I was losing my house and I needed wow. to be out by like that following week. Um, so it was, it took me, let's put it this way. It took me uh, about a year and a half to come out of enough depression to function enough. So I'm, I'm, I would say a high function and depressed person because I've had so many trials and tribulations growing up. Um, so even in depression, I was able to do a couple heads. I was able to still, you know, mine some of my online things. I was able to still fill orders a little bit with products, but I was very much so caught in a stagnant um, mm-hmm. time. And um, that I was still having panic attacks. I would find myself some days just not being able to move, not being able to get, not being able to get dressed, just not being able to 
get my brain to make sense of the world. I was in therapy twice a week, so I was in intense therapy. Um, when I started, I had a therapist that was doing EMDR, trying to close some of the trauma from my childhood up so that I could handle what I was going through then. And then I ended up migrating over to another therapist who was a black woman. And she, I cannot tell people enough that finding the right therapist for what you are in in life yes. is half the battle and it's a necessary part. Because while that therapist I originally had got me out of the crisis where I at least wasn't having panic attacks all the dag on time, and I at least was like able to get up and make it to some appointments and that EMDR did a lot for me, she really pushed me to a point of being able to function and being okay with myself there were so many things that since childhood i didn't realize was messed up in my perception of myself and she was able to to understand like there's nuances in our community there's things that we hear in our households and in our community that we don't even know to say it's a problem it has hurt me and because she was another black woman she was able to pull some of those things and say kanisha i know you have heard seen and whatever this this and that but that is not what is helping you in your life. We need to erase those um, beliefs. We need to do this. We need to do that. And she would challenge me with small things like, okay, you can see if you can do X, Y, Z. She knew, she knew for the most part that I could. I wasn't in the belief that I could, yeah. right? So she re-taught me how to believe in myself. And I, like, I owe a lot of my current mind state and being able to check in with myself to her. Mm. So. I love, listen, I recommend therapy to everybody. That, my listeners know, that's something I talk about regularly on this podcast. Oh, good. Everybody, everybody go to therapy um, on a regular basis. Yeah, I wish it had been normalized. Like, I wish I wouldn't have had to have a, a complete break for me that's, to seek out therapy. I mean, that's such a huge thing in the black community about about therapy and going to therapy and getting therapy and paying for therapy and and all the nuances that come along with that. But thank yeah. you so much for sharing that part of your story because I I think it's incredible, though, that you were then, from that, able to build back up your business to this scale Yeah. now. Yeah, You know, one of the... I, sometimes when white people get mad at me on social media, you know, they say, I'm basically say, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. And uh, I always laugh because I'm like, you're talking to a person who's been homeless more than once. You're talking to a person who's had a complete mental break. Like, you telling me you're not going to be my friend don't mean nothing. It doesn't mean what you think it means, okay, ma'am? Like, <laughs> and, you know, it took some fear. I, I will never wish what I went through on anybody. Not my worst enemy. <laughs> not, not my son's father. <laughs> on nobody, okay? But what I will say is it took away a lot of the fear. Because yeah. if I can get through homelessness and a mental break, um, on my own except for my therapist what happens in business isn't going to kill me right it's not going to break me um, so it, it, it propelled me to take bigger risk and bigger risk meaning okay my minimum order quantity for my products is this and that's is let's just say it's a couple hundred bottles and that's what I would try to stick to all the time right because anything bigger than that seemed like too much money to spend right now I'm like, man, we're going to go for it. And then we are going to push on social media. We're going to, we're not going to be scared to walk into these agents. Like, we are going to do everything because what can they say that can that can hurt you more than what you've already been? Nothing can hurt you more than you've already been through and you made mm-hmm. it through that. So while I wouldn't wish it on anybody, I can see the positives and how it propelled me to keep pushing. 
And again, those letters and those emails and those pictures and those voice messages from these families who are telling me how deeply Tutus has helped them. Between those two things, lessening my fear and knowing mm-hmm. that, that it's, it's actually positively affecting somebody, even on the days it gets really hard and it gets really scary and I'm like, oh crap, did I mess up? I know that I can keep going and I have to keep going. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I think you're great. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just here soaking it in. Uh, <laughs> do you, I, I, it's kind of like a, it's a sidestep to what we've just been talking about, but I did want to know because you had kind of talked about it earlier about older, older uh, transracial adoptees. Do you mm-hmm. sometimes have older clients like, maybe people that were you know transracial adoptees but they never really got to take care of their hair in the proper way yeah um i do um sometimes they'll inbox me or for instance a parent of a young child is a friend or associate with an adoptee who's now an adult and doesn't know how to take care of her hair so she'd ask me some questions and i said look i will gift her the class because that's a really that's a really hard place to be in to not know how to take care of yourself. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, I, I I, know what some of that feels like. My mother didn't know how to do hair. Um, when I became a teen, she kind of really just stopped parenting. But I also was in more of a black space. So I had my neighbor across the street, Basika, and I can't remember her sister's name. They <laughs> taught me how to do an ampro, you know, gel down a ponytail. And girl, I rocked that. <laughs> it might not have been the healthiest thing, but I had me a helmet ponytail. And at least I looked, you know, presentable, right? So when I went to go apply for my little jobs in yeah. high school, I at least knew how to do that. Do that, yeah. I had, you know, I knew where to find braiders. Yes. I knew at least I wasn't scared in go- of going into a black beauty supply store. Some of these adults are below ground zero. When we think about, okay, they just don't know what to, to do. Why don't they just go to a salon? If you've never been around black people, Walking into a black salon is intimidating. Hell, walking into a black salon or black barbershop is sometimes intimidating at, just in general. Yeah. Because it's a coveted space, right? Most of the people in there, they know each other, whatever, and here you go walking in brand new. Anyway, some of these these adults don't know that beauty supplies exist. They don't know why the Asian man is at the front. You know, like there's so many things that are we just take for granted. We already know because this is how we grew up that they don't know. So, yes, to answer your question, I do get those um, sometimes. And usually I just grant them the class because, Mm. like, they need it. And this is what I'm here for. And there's plenty of white, affluent parents who have paid enough that I can grant this person, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying, this class. Do you see that there is, do you see, like, more of an even split between, you know, um, boys and girls or do you see more parents of like kids who identify as female like how do you how does that split usually happen so there's definitely more parents of girls and that's probably also partially because of how I market yeah and partially because when parents of boys approach me I am reluctant because a lot of times they're approaching me to circumvent black barbershops and these boys Mm. are not exposed to black men Period. So if they don't ever go into a black barbershop, they never see a reflection of themselves. Mm. And I think it's awful to deprive them of that. So one of my first things is why? Why do you want his hair long? Mm-hmm. Yes, the science that I teach goes across any gender and anything in between girl and boy, whatever they want. It's science. It goes in between, right? But why do you want this little boy's hair long? 
And if they give me an answer that sounds like they're avoiding black men, I'm like, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna teach you. Like you can catch mm. what you can from social media, and I'm not gonna stop you from, you know, <laughs> clicking the link and paying for it. But um, if you ask me one on one and you're trying to get my attention and you say some stuff that's derogatory of black men and you're, yet you're raising one, I'm not trying to engage with you. So there's some of that that's at play. Which Does that happen often? Yes. R- yes. Whoa. You know what? Why am I acting yes. surprised? Why am I? I'm mad at myself. Continue. We're acting <laughs> surprised. When I tell you, like, what's. What brings me almost to tears is the is there are white women raising black men who are scared of black men. So they will do, I'm gonna say almost anything, but that might be, you know, a stretch, but they will do a lot of things to to feminize these boys so that they don't feel like the, their sons are threatening them. Mm. And and so I'm raising a boy and I know even in a black household, I'm not everything that he needs right? He's going to be a man. I've got to have black men around him in some form or fashion. If we move, like when we were in Iowa at first, it was only the barbershop. But then I found mentors and then I found summer camps. And then I found, you have to, even in a black household, make sure that your black boys have some connection with black men because they are going to be that. But can you imagine them? Are most of your listeners adults, right? Yeah. Okay, can you imagine the mindfuck of growing up as a black boy and somebody constantly being afraid of you? And, and, and all the gaslighting that goes into that, you don't even know because you've never been in a situation that was uplifting to you. You don't even know that that is what has been like making that void in you, making that um, those self-confidence issues in you. You have no idea. You, you have just been in, raised in this twilight zone. So, I mean, I, I probably am missing out on money. And like, I used to have somebody that did my graphics and stuff and she was like, just make a boy's class. Like, let's just change the colors. I know you say the science is the same. Let's change the colors, let's do this, let's do that. Let's just make a boy's class, get that money. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but my brain just, I can't. If they are really serious about this science, they can take the class that I offer, but I cannot help white women circumvent black men when they're raising a black man. And so I still have a big block with that. Now I do have I do have parents of boys that are in my class, but there are also those parents who are not trying to circumvent. Mm-hmm. They they they're literally coming from a good place. Um, they their sons have hair for whatever reason. Maybe he's you know preteen. He decided he wanted to look like some baseball player. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but we are able to have those conversations. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So so I feel safe with teaching them this. Um. I think that's the best way to say it. No, that totally makes sense. Have you ever, I, I mean, have you ever thought of partnering with, like, a barber? Like, has that ever been? I've thought about it, and I've tried multiple times. Um, So, unfortunately, because we don't, both races, right? Everybody has our challenges in our community. So, unfortunately, in the beginning, nobody saw the vision, and I get it. My vision, <laughs> a lot of the things that have come to fruition now, I didn't even see it, Right. Um, I've had a hard time being able to connect with the barber and have them stay, you know, stay on and committed. stay the mm-hmm. course. Yeah, and stay committed. And like, even I was willing to rebuild, I was willing to build the online class 
for boys and I had a barber that we was going back and forth and I'm like hey these are the things I need from you like I need pictures and like the terms and we'll split the cost like but I'm building it I'm doing the marketing I'm doing all that but we'll split it 50 50 girl I've never got not one picture none and then I was like all right so I can put you on the website as an option for the one-on-ones you know they can either book with me they can book with you whatever he was like oh I got my own one-on-one I'm like all right that's cool like I'm not throwing no shade have your own one-on-one but when people come to me it would have been easier to funnel them to you Mm -hmm. if your name and booking information was in the same place as mine um so yeah I've I've wanted to have that there have been some barriers and I've just decided to focus on what I do well Mm-hmm. And I think eventually as um, money grows, as support grows, maybe I'll be able to incorporate that. Incorporate that. Um, so we're coming to the end of our time, which makes me very sad because <laughs> you're amazing. Oh, um, <laughs> but uh, I want to ask, I have a couple more questions. Just wanted, wanted to ask, um, what do you see as the future for two shoes and tennis shoes? Okay. Um, so I envision tutus and tennis shoes being able to help other stylists. Um, mm. I want to have tutus approved salons across the nation. And if not international, because I do have some international followers. I have people who order the products in other countries. Um, but when they call me and they're like, or when they post, because I really don't give out my number anymore. The, um, <laughs> you know, well, I'm in such and such and I want to go to a salon. And yes, I can teach them what to look for. But I would love to teach other stylists some of the things that I learned on the fly. Some mm-hmm. of the language, some of the some challenges that the families are coming in with, some of the ways to have honest conversations. Maybe not as blunt as me, because that's definitely a personality trait. <laughs> That is a plus and a fail. Like, <laughs> ain't even go front. Um, but to help other stylists be able to work within this community and make it a healthy environment for everybody involved. Um, and I and I started training one salon in Texas. I was so excited, and she pulled out at the last minute, like before I could get them certificates, before I could get the pictures. It was a whole sad event this summer. Anyway, um, so that's one thing. I definitely want to get my training to social workers. I want, um, I have a shorter version of my online class. Mm -hmm. I want social workers to have to take it and foster parents to have to take it. I definitely want, so social workers, I guess we could, you know, they might not pay attention. Just Mm -hmm. like you don't pay attention to all training modules, Mm -hmm. whatever. (laughs) But (laughs) I want foster parents. I want it to be offered because what people fail to realize is, when white parents want to foster black kids, they have to check a whole separate box. Just like you have to check when you say that you can foster a child with a disability. That's the same type of like separate section for black kids. Well, when you check that box, sir, ma'am, I need you to have some basis of education. And most of these parents don't. They just need Jesus and love, according to them. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, you know, is a lot, but... It's a lot, but, but we can do better like us. And if Jesus was coming to your household, you wouldn't even have the products to let him stay for a night. So, uh, no, <laughs> this ain't going to work, ma'am. I you couldn't it. even host Jesus for a day when he come back. No, <laughs> no, you sure need to do some more before you go raising some kids. Okay. Because you won't have them for a little while. A little bit. Just a little bit. My mom's still raising me, and I'm, you know, grown. Late 20s. Exactly. (laughs) Call her every day. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and so the last question I ask all my guests is, how do you define being a woman or womanhood? Ooh, that's a big one. And, you know, I'm, I'm relearning that. That's what's interesting is I'm relearning that. Um, being a woman, to me, is defined as being able to create. Um, yes, our physical typically is able to create life but aside from that we hold like even if our physical doesn't create babies right we hold a lot of creative energy um and in that creation we also hold a lot of nurturing energy um I think of us so I don't know if you know anything about African spirituality or whatever but you but um Yemanya I think I'm saying it right Yemanya Yemanya anyway to me it's like one of the epitomes of femininity of a woman um she represents water also so you can be soothing and you can be cool and calm and you can also wreck shit right um you also encompass all these life forms and you keep them alive and you you know you are in tune with the moon your waves go with the moon like i just think that being a woman encompasses so much we are literally magical and i think that's why a lot of our society is set up to keep us from tuning into that to keep us from feeling empowered because if we really knew and we really checked in to that creative to that nurturing energy to that um power of being able to calm and soothe but also wreck shit when needed man we it would be no stopping us (laughs) Um, i think that's why ancient you know communities uh praised women they knew you know I love that. I love that answer. That's like one of the more unique answers that I've gotten in a while. So I really, really love that. Um, Kanisha, thank you. (laughs) Kanisha, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Like, I really can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It's been so amazing having you on. Um, Before we go, is there anyone or anything that you want to shout out to, give kudos to? first kudos to you and oh, thank, thank you, you. <laughs> for inviting me on um I really appreciate that I have enjoyed this conversation actually. <laughs> um you know if anybody has heard this and they would like to partner on or I'm all, I'm in need of a mentor to be really honest I need to scale the business and I don't know how again I don't know what I'm doing it's a single woman shop. My 13-year-old helps put labels on. Like, that's what I got. That's <laughs> why I hire a gig worker. But other than that, like, but it's growing bigger, right? And I need to have people in place, but I don't know how to do that. So if anybody hears this and they want to reach out, um, I would love that. My email is heykanisha at two, two, eh? hey Kanisha at com. And I will provide that in the show notes. Show notes. Words are rough today. Man, Yo. we are struggling. <laughs> I will provide that in the show notes. Those are the words. Um, Kanisha, thank you so much again. Thank you so much to all the listeners. Um, if you'd like to follow the show, interact with the show, please do. Please follow the show at Pretty Face Lady um, on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, please go ahead and like us on Facebook at More Than a Pretty Face. If you'd like to connect with me, want to say hi, want to come on the show, know someone who wants to come on the show, please email me at prettyfacewomen at mtapfpodcast.com and talk to you soon.